Um, in Thailand, um, there are many people who um, don't enjoy reading, who don't read well. Um, you have some people who are very educated. Um, you have some people who are not very educated. Um, and in that context, and probably even even increasingly in uh, in the American context as well, where people are more likely to turn to YouTube than turn to a book, um, the stories of scripture are just absolutely wonderful. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but about two-thirds of the Bible is narrative. Two-thirds of the Bible is narrative. The Old Testament, New Testament. Um, we often turn to you know Romans or the various epistles. Um, there's just these wonderful direct propositional truths and these, these deep doctrines laid out very clearly. But embedded within the narratives of Scripture, we learn a lot about God. There's theology, there's doctrine, there's the character of God. We learn a lot from the actions of God through, through these stories, um, which um, capture the heart, capture the mind, and there's drama and there's characters. Um, God uses these stories of Scripture to draw us in and to teach us about himself who he is, and how we should respond to him. So um, when I preach, and even when um, I talk with people uh, about the gospel, um, whether it be here or in Thailand, um, I like to use um, a lot of stories, and the stories from and specifically the stories from Scripture. Um, the passage uh, that we're in this morning is uh, Luke chapter 18, verses uh, 9 to 14, which is the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, it's a story that we're probably um, all familiar with, um, but I, I want to dig into a little bit and help us see some things, uh, remind us of some things that God wants to teach us uh, here. I want to start with a little bit of background, just so just to refresh us on who the people are in this story. Who are um, who are the characters? Who is Jesus talking to? Um, and I'm, I want to start by, by retelling the story. We've heard this, the scripture read already, but I want to uh, retell it. And you know, keep your Bibles open, obviously. But um, in your mind's eye, imagine uh, the scene. So people have come to listen to Jesus. And Jesus, he tells this parable to some who trust in themselves that they're righteous and treat others with contempt. So this is, this is the context. This is who he is. Uh, he is speaking to. And Jesus tells his story. Two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners and unjust and adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I have. The tax collector, however, he stood far away and he didn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said to the people, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified that day and not the other one, because everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. So imagine this in, in your mind's eye, in the, in the temple, we have a Pharisee, 
Now, who are the Pharisees? Who were the Pharisees for Jesus' listeners? Now, if you've, if you've been in church a while and you've read the Gospels, you, re you realize the Pharisees are often the bad guys. They're the people who oppose Jesus. They're ones who ultimately um, get Jesus crucified uh, by uh, riling up the crowd. But in the minds of Jesus' listeners, the Pharisees are the good guys. They are the respected leaders of Israel. They're diligently keeping the law of God. And then some, they have a whole, a whole slew of rules that they have, they have devised in order to help people keep the word of God and be sure that they keep the word of God. So they are the good people. They are the moral people. So Jesus' listeners, they're, 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 when they hear this story, they're expecting the Pharisee to be the protagonist. He's going to be the good guy. He's going to be the example that we're all supposed to follow. His, Jesus' listeners are not expecting what's coming. The Pharisee is the one that should come out in the right in the end. The tax collector, on the other hand, tax collectors were not liked. The situation of Israel at the time was that they were under occupation by the Roman Empire. When the Roman Empire came into a territory, specifically when they came into Israel in this situation, is they needed to, or they desired to, uh, collect taxes. And so the most efficient way they found to collect taxes was to hire some of the local people uh, to collect taxes for them. So um, there were certain Jews who um, were hired by the Romans to collect taxes. And how did these tax collectors get their salaries? They weren't paid a salary by the Roman Empire and then go out and do their job. They were given some soldiers to work with them. And uh, these men, they would go to the local residents and they would collect from them the required taxes uh, that needed to be passed on to the Romans. And then they would collect more from them in order to pay their own wages. And then they would often collect more and collect some more, and maybe some for the Roman soldiers as well. Um, as you can see, there was um, a huge opportunity for abuse in this system, and it was abused again and again and again. And uh, in this day and age, um, I think... Most of us are not a fan of paying taxes, um, probably not a fan of, of the tax collector. Um, and that day and age where there was so much uh, corruption in the system, um, a tax collector was not the most popular guy in town. So we might fairly ask, when the Pharisee and the tax collector show up at the temple to pray, people might wonder uh, what they're doing there. We'll get to the tax collector who particularly would have been looked asked and sat in, in a moment. But let's think about the Pharisee for a moment. So the Pharisee, he comes into the temple and everyone would expect him to be there. He's very holy. He's a religious fellow. He's a leader of the religious community. So he comes in and the scripture says that he is standing by himself. Why is he standing by himself? Well, is it because <clears throat> is it because nobody likes him? Well, he's a respected leader of the community. That might not be the reason. Could it be that um, he doesn't want to stand with anyone else? That he wants to be set apart? That he um, doesn't want to be with the little people, the people who are under him? The scripture doesn't say specifically. We can consider uh, the reasons he might have been standing apart. Um, maybe he wanted to be apart, separate from people, so everyone could hear 
uh, him pray loudly. And people, they are praying out loud here. This is not um, silent prayer that only Jesus was privy to. Um, but in this, in this story, um, in this parable that Jesus is telling, they're, they're praying aloud, out loud as was the practice. And what is, he, what is he praying? He stands up and he by himself and he prays. He starts by thanking God. That's always a good way to start prayer, is to thank God. But unfortunately, um, the good part of his prayer ends there with the thank you, God. Because what comes after it um, is all about him. I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I don't do all these things. I'm not like any of these guys. But what do I do? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. This is what he prayed. He started out by praying, I thank you, God. I'm not like this person, that person, the other person, other person. It's all comparing him to other people. He's better than other people because of these things. God, thank you that I'm not like them. And thank you that I do this for you and that I do that for you. That his prayer is entirely self-referential. Um, he may start praying to God, but the prayer is really not about God. The prayer is really all about him. It's a show. And he's praying this out loud so that the people around can hear about all the awful people that he's not like. And they can also hear about the good things that he has done. What would people have thought when they heard this prayer? Like, oh, wow, yes, he's very, he's very holy. He's not like extortioners or unjust or even that tax collector who came here for some reason. He fasts twice a week. Oh, man, I don't know if I could do that. That's, that's really good. And he gives a tenth of all that he gets. I guess maybe I should give more. You know, I don't, I haven't been as faithful. And it's like, and, and they're, they're hearing these things and they, they, they should have been impressed. And maybe many, many of them were impressed. That was the idea. What's your impression of this, of this fellow? <clears throat> is this Pharaoh? Is a Pharaoh? Um, Pharisee. Um, is this Pharisee someone that you would want as a church member? Think about it. He ties 10%. <laughs> Statistically, American churchgoers tithe maybe 2% at best. This guy gives 10% of all that he gives, that he gets. He tithes, he, um, he fasts twice a week. That's more than most of us could probably say. In terms of morality, I mean, he's here. You know, sexual purity, I mean, he's good to go. He's not, he's not corrupt. He seems like a good, moral, upstanding, all-around guy, doesn't he? And he gives the church. I mean, who wouldn't want him? as a church member, right? If you're doing a church plant and you're just and you're, you're just starting out, you want regular givers. You want good people who are going to show up all the time. This guy shows up every week. He's there. He's there, front and center. He's ready to serve. He's ready to lead. What else could he have prayed? We saw what he did pray. God, I'm thank you. I'm not like these people and I've done this and that. He could have prayed other things, couldn't he? He could have prayed, you know, thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you, God, for your great works for the people of Israel in the past. Um, we praise you, God, that you have uh, given us a land to live in, bringing us back from exile. We thank you that, uh, that even with the Romans here, you know, you've given us a roof over our heads and bread on our tables. You've given us a degree of autonomy, even under foreign rule. There's all sorts of things that he could have prayed. He could have prayed 
for other people. He could, but instead he prayed. He he. It was all about. Uh, it was all about him. It was all about exalting him. It wasn't about glorifying God. It was about glorifying himself. It was, I do this. I don't do that. I do this. I do this. Our temptation is often to uh, pray all about ourselves uh, too. There is a time and place for I and me. You look at the book of Psalms. David um, and the other Psalm writers, they pour out their heart before God. There's a place for coming, coming humbly before God and telling him what's going on in our lives, but not in, in a self, uh, self-exalting kind of way. Um, in, in the modern, modern worship scene, uh, apart from you know, hymns and some of the older songs and uh, the small handful of good modern worship songs, there's a lot of songs out there that are all about, God, I feel this way about you. God, I'm going to do this for you. God, my whole heart is devoted to you all the time. You know, saying things that are, you know, uh, obscenely untrue, um, if we're honest with ourselves. Um, there's a lot of um, worship music that's, that's really focused uh, about us. Um, one of the reasons that the old hymns are great is because they're talking about um, creation and fall and redemption and the second coming uh, of Christ. There's all these great uh, doctrinal biblical themes packed into these old hymns. Um, there are some some hymns that talk about um, the believer's uh, inner experience uh, and feelings towards God, but that's only one part of the bigger picture of speaking about God, who he is, and what he has done. Those are all things, all the type of things that Pharisee could have prayed, but, uh, but he didn't. We'll come, we'll come back to the Pharisee in a moment here. I want to talk about uh, the tax collector here. So th- the Pharisee was all about him, but the tax collector comes in with a distinctly different attitude. One might even wonder why he came at all. Because if he's using Roman soldiers to collect more taxes than he should, if he's um, taking if he's taking bribes, if he's uh, taking more money than he should from people, he's basically persona non grata in the Jewish community. Um, he is a traitor to his nation. He's a traitor to his religion. And that's how people are going to see him. He's probably not the most uh, religious man. Tax collectors would have been looked down upon. And when he comes into the temple, when the tax collector comes into the temple, who are the other people there? It's the people who um, Sunday, through, uh, Sunday through Friday, he is going to their houses and he is taking money from them. So he's definitely not coming to the temple to hang out with his friends and people who like him because he's coming in and the people who are there, it's like, what's he doing here? Why is he here? Why would he ever show up? He really shouldn't be here. He probably is coming in to the temple. People are looking at him. You know, maybe they're not going to say anything to him, but they're not... They don't want to say anything to him. They don't want to talk to him. They assume he doesn't want to talk to them. They're not friends. They're, there's, there's an adversarial relationship there. Um, in general, do you like to go places where if you walk in, everyone's going to wonder why you are there? Where you don't feel welcome? Where no one wants you there? We don't like to go to those kind of places. Even if it's some place we want to go because there's some something there that we want, 
Um, if we know people are going to be unwelcoming, we don't want to go there. We want to stay away. So why does this guy show up? Why does this tax collector come at all? That's what people are probably wondering. He's not going to go there and be buddy-buddy with anyone. He goes there and he stands where? Does he stand with the others? He stands, he stands far off. He stands far off and he doesn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. What does that, what does that say about him? He's not even lifting his eyes up to heaven. Then it says he beats his breast and he has a prayer. He has a very short prayer. God have mercy on me, a sinner. God have mercy on me, a sinner. He could have prayed a hundred other things. He could have, he could have prayed, thank you, Lord, that I am not like the other tax collectors who are even more corrupt than I am. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for the great riches that you have enabled my hand to receive. <laughs> thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that pompous Pharisee who thinks he's, you know, all that and a bag of chips. <laughs> he could have prayed lots of different things. He could have been proud. He could, have, he could have said lots of things, but he didn't. He only said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That was, that was his simple prayer. What does that say about him? It says, it says that he knows his position before God. He knows something that the Pharisee didn't. The Pharisee was the religious teacher of Israel. He knew the scriptures. But what didn't the Pharisee know? He didn't know that he was a sinner. He didn't know that he was a sinner in need of God's grace. He thought that, the Pharisee thought that he had arrived. He was doing just fine. Him and God, you know, like this. They're buddy-buddy. But not the, not the tax collector. He knows what he'd done. He knew that it wasn't right. And he knew that God doesn't accept people like him. He knew that his community doesn't accept people like him. He knew that he was not righteous in God's sight and that God would judge him and God would reject him. He knew he was a traitor to God and a traitor to his own people. It was humility he displayed. What happened before he came to the temple? What changed in his heart to make him realize what he was doing was wrong and that he needed God's mercy? We don't know. It's a... Uh, it's a story, it's a parable that Jesus told uh, to make a point. And what point would this have made to, um, to Jesus' listeners? As people were listening to Jesus, what would, they have, what would they have concluded? It's a surprising tale that Jesus tells because his listeners wouldn't have thought that the Pharisee is the one that would be, uh, would, would be the bad guy and the tax collector would be the good guy that would um, meet God's meet with God's approval. Jesus has this surprising conclusion. He says, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified and not this and not this other man. Jesus' listeners would have thought, whoa, 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 whoa. Pharisees are the ones who are accepted by God and tax collectors are the ones who are rejected by God. Everyone knows that those people are not our people. The tax collectors, they're, they're not the kind of people that come to the temple. They're not the kind of people that God accepts. You know, Jesus, how could you ever say this guy would be acceptable to God? He's a crook. He's a thief. He's stealing from us to make it even worse. 
But the question that Jesus wants people to ask here is not, are you a person who accepts God? That's the altar call question. That's the, you know, Brother Sankey, play, come, as a, come just as you are. You know, again, so people walk down the sawdust trail and give their, give their heart to Jesus. Will you accept God? That's the modern question. That's an altar call question. But that's not Jesus' question. Jesus' question is, who is the person that God accepts? It's not whether you're going to accept God. The Pharisee accepted God after all. You know, hypocrites and thieves, all sorts of people accept God in their own understanding. But Jesus' question, the gospel question is, are you a person that God accepts? That's the more important thing. How does God view us? Not how do we view God. People have all sorts of ideas about God. Oh, my Jesus would never do that. Well, what Jesus is this that you worship? I don't find him in the scripture. People think God is like this and God is like that and God is like the other thing. But that's not really important. The important thing is, how does God view us? And Jesus concludes here that it's the tax collector, the one who humbled himself, that, that returned home justified that day, not the Pharisee. The Pharisee might probably went home thinking he was justified, thinking that he was accepted by God, because of all these things that he had done. All these things to the altar the Pharisee brought. I'm not a bad person like that. I am a good person like this. Yay me. But that's not what God is looking at. God's not looking at all the good things that we do or all the bad things that we, uh, we manage to avoid. We are all sinners. Something that the, the tax collector understood, the Pharisee didn't, is that we are all sinners. Even if we've done many good works, or we've tried to be a good person, or you know, we're not as corrupt as the other guy, um, we, are, we are all sinners. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many good things we've done for God. It, what, what matters, and what Jesus is saying here, is have we humbled ourselves before God, acknowledging that we are, are sinner, and that none of the good things that we've done or tried to do or, or things or things we've tried to avoid, do they amount to anything in God's sight? It's that humility. Pride is not acceptable before God. Humility is acceptable before God. Jesus tells this story to smash the certainty of self-righteousness and to give certainty to the humble. So in, in our day and age, there's a lot said about uh, self-confidence and self-esteem. And self-esteem is seen as a gen a generally a very good thing. We want you know children to have self-esteem and believe themselves. The Pharisee, he had self-esteem. He had self-confidence. He believed in himself. But sometimes we shouldn't be so certain. We shouldn't be so certain that we are accepted before God. We shouldn't be so certain that we are... Um, that we are good and that everything we've done is good and that and God accepts us and we're just fine. Um, most people think that they're pretty good people because we usually compare, our standard of goodness tends to be, tends to be ourselves. People who aren't quite as good as us, well, you know, they're not, you know, those people, they're not very good. But people who are um, higher than us, like, oh, well, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, those people are really good, but... Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm good enough. I mean, you know, I don't, you know, I don't rape or murder or, you know, I don't do any of those really bad things. Any of those things on, you know, I, I, I read about on, you know, on the news or social media, 
You know, I'm not like that. Are we like Pharisees? No, no, of course not. We would never be like Pharisee. How could we be? How is that possible? Um, but Jesus is telling this to people who are churchgoers, in, in, in a manner of speaking. They're temple goers. They were doing all the things they were supposed to. They thought they were, they were good to go with God. But the attitude that Jesus is driving home here is we need to continually be coming before God in humility. Um, sometimes people think about gospel preaching as something you, you, you do so that people will be saved. People will make a, a commitment to Christ. And then after that, um, what, re what people really need is moral exhortation to be good people. And the gospel, the message of humility before God and repentance and turning towards God is kind of forgotten. That the day in and day out um, or the week in and week out preaching uh, in church tends to end tends to be, you know, be good to get blessing, this kind of thing. Um, telling, you know, warning people off about, you know, don't do that, you know, do this and God will, God will bless you. But we actually need to hear the gospel again and again and again. Um, Martin Luther, um, who kicked off the Protestant Reformation, he posted on the, uh, on the, the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, the 95 Theses, the first of which is this, that all of life is a life of repentance. All of life is a life of repentance. So every week we need to hear the gospel. Every day we need, uh, we have plenty of reminders if, um, if we're listening to God that we are, uh, that we are sinners, that we have not arrived. We're not like, we, ha we, we shouldn't have the attitude like the Pharisee thinking, you know, we're good because of all these things that we've done. Um, we actually need to examine ourselves and ask, are there ways in which we are like the Pharisee? Are there people that we look down upon? Do we play the comparison game in our daily life? Well, you know, we're not like, you know, this person or that person or the other person. Um, have you ever been driving on the highway or, you know, along Route 1 here or where or not, and there's someone who's slow or in front of you or someone who does something they shouldn't? Um, and I'll take this to, to 95, particularly because you have three lanes, right? So someone's, you know, they, they do something obnoxious or they're in front of you and you're really frustrated with them and you, and you finally, you pass and you drive by them and you look over to see if they look as dumb as they're driving. <laughs> and I'm, I, and you expect to see a person who looks like this or that. I, I won't go into specifics because you can all imagine, you know, the dumb people you've imagined in your mind. Either they're too much of this or too much of that, or they're probably on their phone or they're probably, you know, whatever. I'm a better driver than they are because I'm not doing that. I, I, I fall into that and I have to remind myself, okay, don't look over, don't look over. I don't, it doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what the other person looks like. I don't want to play the comparison game because at some point I've done some sort of boneheaded thing in the car as well. I've cut someone off because they didn't realize it. Or, you know, I'm talking to someone and it's like, oh, wow, I'm going, you know, 50 miles an hour instead of 70 miles per hour or something. You know, I've probably done this at some point. So 
I have to keep telling myself, stop playing the comparison game. Because whether we're better or worse than the people around us is not the point. We should have the attitude like the, like the tax collector. Because unlike the Pharisee, he had an audience of one. The audience of one was God. The most important thing is, where do we stand before God? Are we humbly repenting of the sin that we know of and asking God to reveal the sin that, we, that we're not aware of in our lives so that we can uh, repent? Are we doing that? Or are we continually thinking about you know, the other people around us? That's what God's asking us this morning. Not whether we accept him, but whether does, is God, does God accept us? Are, and he's saying, don't be so certain of your acceptance before God, before him, um, if we're not humbling ourselves. Those two men, the Pharisee and the tax collector, they both went back to their house that day. One was certain. The other probably may, might not have been certain. The Pharisee was certain of his acceptance before God, even though he was not justified. Jesus told this story so that those among his listeners who were confident in their own righteousness, but not right before God, would have their certainty smashed. But for those who, were not, who knew they were sinners, who were not certain, and actually were, thought they were not acceptable before God, he told this parable um, as a message of assurance, of a message of certainty, of a message of hope. That if you've messed up, and you know it, you haven't gotten it right, you messed up in your relationships, you've messed up in your decisions, you've alienated people, you've done the wrong thing, you're on the wrong course, and you know you need to change. It's not about getting your, getting your house in order, getting your act together, so that you know, someday, maybe, you know, God will accept you. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus wanted people to know that when we humble ourselves, like this tax collector, God will accept us. That's a lot of theology packed in a little story, isn't it? Jesus has, these stories are wonderful, but Jesus has something for, he has something for everyone. For those who are confident in themselves, he's going to bring you down. For those who are just at their lowest ebb, they're not confident of any, anything, especially themselves. He wants to say, forgiveness is for you. I am for you. Uh, this, is, this is the word of God that he says to us this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, we pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, root out the pride uh, and the arrogance in our hearts, uh, that if there's good works that we're... Uh, confiding in, uh, that we would repent of those, uh, that you would cause us uh, this Sabbath to uh, reflect upon um, our lives, that we would stop uh, comparing ourselves with other people and just start paying attention to um, uh, who we are before you. Uh, we pray, Lord God, that um, uh, those among us who, um, who know we're evil, and we pray that we would all know um, that we are sinners in need of your grace, that there's nothing in our hand that we bring that can convince you uh, that we are good enough uh, for salvation, good enough for you to accept us. But it's your mercy and your grace um, that forgives us and makes us who we are and gives us hope uh, for 
the present and for the future. Uh, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace uh, that speaks to us and changes our hearts and our lives this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.